1: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. This is your host, James P. Freel. I am thrilled that you guys are here with us today. We have an interesting show lined up for you that I'm excited to get into because it's something that if you understand and implement in your business, you can definitely help your long-term growth in a super effective way. And so uh, we've got a really, uh, really great guest lined up for you. But before we get to our guest, I just want to introduce you guys to the, uh, the very special and unique person who does this show with me. I see him. He's actually not galloping into the studio. It's kind more of a, a strut today. Welcome, the one, the only, the bearded wonder from the United Kingdom, Mr. Dean Holland.
0: <laughs> I like the idea of strutting <laughs> into today's studio. Well, you
1: must like <laughs> the idea because that's what you were doing.
0: <laughs> right. i uh, moonwalk moonwalking next time just to add a little <laughs> something extra.
1: Oh, I didn't know your uh, your horse could moonwalk.
0: Oh, yeah, all four feet.
1: How much training did that take?
0: Quite some time. It's still undergoing, actually.
1: Oh, right. There's a there's a whole regimen to figure yes. that out.
0: Yes, there is indeed. But uh, yeah, enough about me and my moonwalking steed. How are you, Mister James? I'm doing well, my friend. Good. I'm doing well. Yes. Good. That's excited, always good. Uh,
1: excited for our show today.
0: Yes, me too. This is a this isn't a subject that I I I, I, I know. I won't say I know a lot about the subject. I know of the subject and it's never been something that I've tackled or taken on as something to immerse myself in. so I'm really excited to learn more
1: yes as as am I you know I think in the in the direct response world, there's a almost i don't want to say an aversion to SEO, but there's definitely like ah, you know what? I'm not going to worry about SEO because I'm just gonna do things with paid ads and affiliates and all sort of other things like that, but I think there's I think there's a real time and place for understanding SEO. And so our guest today, John McAlpin, welcome to the show. We're excited yeah. to have you, and hopefully you can stir up some SEO controversy with Dean and I.
2: All right, thanks for having me, guys.
1: Absolutely. So what do so what do you, so you got to say to a couple direct response guys like us about the value of SEO?
2: Sure. Um, so if we're talking numbers, if I'm talking to like a stakeholder, my first response is, okay, if you're dealing, especially if you're paying an agency or something like that for these paid ads, you're paying for not just the ad budget, but for also the management fees. But for SEO, you're really just paying for the management fees. So it's a much more cost-effective growth strategy for digital marketing.
1: So you think it's more like on the whole, you're going to be as bold as to say it's a more cost effective growth strategy.
2: I mean, it depends who you're working with, right? There's the cheap agencies and the expensive agencies out there. And (laughs) he's
1: like, well, if if you're
2: not working with us, then yes. (laughs) You get what you pay for sometimes, but at the same time, when you really look at it in those terms, it, it is a more cost effective strategy.
1: And would you say that it's a more long-term strategy?
2: Oh, yeah. That's sometimes a given in my book, I have to remember. Um, uh, Yeah, so it's definitely more long-term, especially when you do it right. Because there's definitely some short-term solutions that may not yield long-term results. There's definitely a right and wrong way to do it. And then there's also a ton of gray area where you'll have a lot of debate between SEOs about, well, I don't think you're supposed to be doing it that way. But really, when when you look at Google's guidelines, there's Really no defined rules in some areas.
0: Well, I think I think this would be a this would be a great place maybe to tackle this first. Because I i I'd bet well, there's probably a lot of people similar to me. Like I see, and I think we said before we started the show, like I, I see a lot of people almost trying to game the system of SEO, if that's such a thing. As in, you know, you see people say, Oh look, I just ranked this video to the top of Google in three seconds and all, all kinds of crazy stuff. But it sounds like what we're more talking about here is like that long term approach, right? So I probably uh, I'd I'd love to know like, like a bit more behind that side of things.
1: And sorry, before you respond, John, can I just express my absolute astonishment that Dean is you know engaging in the conversation this early in the show? Right,
0: as will all of our listeners. Like, and yeah. it's nice to meet everybody for the first time in two years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Usually, we don't hear from you until around minute nineteen.
0: Right, but, where, where I've yeah. normally built up something so good. So it's probably going to go wrong now. Everyone's going to be like, Dean shouldn't speak until 20 minutes in at you least. you 19
2: minutes to Google what SEO is and all, all of that.
0: <laughs> right. <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 all right. Uh, so where do you want me to start? I don't know. I'm, I'm about 15 minutes too early, so right. you can start anywhere.
1: No, see, I, uh, you asked a very good question, Dean, and I immediately derailed it. I apologize. Right. Well,
0: hopefully you can make some clarity of it because I don't normally speak, so I can't string sentences together correctly.
1: Well, I think it's the it's the the short, short-term short versus long-term. Yeah, yeah.
0: That sounds sensible. Right, so
2: typically when people look at short-term, the, the one strategy that I always see come up for short-term gains is what, what they call link building. And for the people that don't know what that is, as one of the very important ranking factors out there is your backlink portfolio. And what that means is basically the who, which other websites are linking to you. Uh, Google sees links in the web as kind of like a neighborhood. And the number of links linking to you and the quality of those links really determines how Google views your site. And it is kind of a popularity contest because there's a mix of quantity and quality. Because you want to have a ton of backlinks, but you don't want them all to be junky, spammy websites. And so you want them to be high-quality sites. So if, you know, Joe's Garage and Ma's Bakery is linking to my corporate website, that doesn't really mean anything versus like a a Forbes link or some news articles or anything like that. So most people, what they do is when they're looking at short-term gains, they're trying to get as many links as possible. Mm-hmm. And usually they do that from some spammy methods that may get them in trouble. And by trouble, you can actually get a penalty for bad backlinks or, or something that looks malicious.
1: And what's a, uh, what, what, what would a penalty be just like, you don't show up at all or they bury you on page 10. Or they they
2: would uh, devalue or depend. So if it's like a certain pages, they can maybe remove it. They can devalue it. I've seen different reports from it. Now, I can I've seen it happen from as little as one link. But there was recently an SEO out of Australia who did a study. Who he migrated his website, and one link followed him to his new website, and that one link got him a penalty, and it took him forever to figure out what that one link was. So sometimes it's usually it's when you have they're called private blog networks, which is basically a bunch of sites that you just threw up and created real quick, threw up a bunch of fake machine written content. And just spammed a bunch of links on there, and those are the fastest way to get links, but they're also they they give you no value whatsoever, and they eventually lead to penalties.
1: Okay, so so if we're tracking this whole thing, we want to have high quality high quality links, even if we have a lower quantity right. of those links. At exactly. The
2: so hmm. typically, when you see someone say I do white hat link building for SEO, what that means is they're literally going in there and they're like identifying who a good target is trying to find good, what we call linkable assets. So whether that's like a blog that provides a lot of value or a really in depth article or whatever page that we think is relevant to another page, trying to find who runs that website and reach out to them over an email or however creative means you have to say, Hey, I think you have an article that discusses all this stuff and you briefly mentioned X. Well, my article about X goes into a lot more detail. And I think that provides a lot of value to your readers. You should give me a link, please. And that's usually what they call the traditional white hat link building. And it's very time consuming. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. Uh, right. But, but is it, but it's effective. I mean, is it highly effective as well?
2: It is. Um, and you, we can actually track that in a number of ways. There's three ways that we really track it. Uh, one is actually referral traffic. You know, you can go into Google analytics and see if those sites are actually bringing traffic to you. So it's more than just, you know, your rankings Two, if you were to do no other SEO other than link building, that is one way you could track it. Most people have a combination of approaches for SEO, so it really does anything there. But we can also track it through domain authority, which is, for those that don't know, domain authority is something that was created by a company called called Moz. And it is a it, – it's not something that Google uses, but it mimics how Google might see your link profile. And it it's its own algorithm that basically is the – quality versus quantity factor. And it gives you a score of zero to 100. So you can actually track that over time and it kind of gives you a better sense of how Google might perceive your link profile.
1: So one of the things that you're talking about here presupposes, uh, at least with this stuff, that you have something interesting on your site that people would want to link back to.
0: Yeah.
2: And so that's a really good point too. Because when I say something interesting that people would want to link to, Where SEO is actually heading right now is, it's always been about content because you want to have content that can rank and convert. But Google is having people focus and all of their advice recently has been focus on your content. Make sure it's something that actually provides value. Hmm. And, you know, that's a very broad statement. So the SEO community is like, yeah, can you go into more detail about what that is? And they're like, nope. And so... We're essentially having to do deeper analysis about, okay, who's ranking for what, why are they ranking, what are they doing on their site that's doing so well, and we're trying to fill that
0: content gap. Yeah, well, you know what's, uh, you know what's super interesting? So I, I, I think sort of uh, in, in our little market that, that we play in, like, I, I'm seeing the emergence, which is good. It should always have been like this, but it just seems to be more of the case now that the best products are going to win. Mm-hmm like i think in the past it was always like the best marketing was always going to win you could have a crappy product that would beat a a great product just because based on the marketing and and i think um, at least my my small view into the world of seo is is maybe in a way a little bit similar like i remember 10 years ago that i had friends that were just they were they were at the top of the search engines but purely through like stuffing the keyword in there as much as they could, like in the title, in the first sentence, all the way throughout the article. And really, like the the content of the article or the post or the, the whatever was on the website really wasn't all that good. But because of how Google was indexing things, that was the way to get to the top. And it sounds like things are now also coming full circle in a sense of no, what's more important is the actual value and the information that's being provided and then making sure it's relevant to what people are looking for. Would you would you think that's a fair Assessment. That's, that's
2: one of the best analogies you can put for it, actually. So well done. Um, yeah. Oh, thank you, that too, tend- Very nice. <laughs> it's keyword stuffing to long form informational content. And then we're the real art, because it's kind of, there's a little bit of an art and science, but we're the kind of art and science meet, meet is how do you make that a valuable user experience? And when I, mm. uh, and earlier I had mentioned there's some gray area when it comes to SEO. And there's a lot of people in the SEO camp of, on-site metrics and how users interact on your page coming from organic sources can affect your ranking. So if someone clicks on a link from Google, and but they bounce immediately, Google might say, hey, maybe that's not the best result to put here. We should devalue this page. Of course, it's all machine algorithm, like automated. So it's not an actual human saying this, so it's a machine thinking this. But Google may say, hey, that's not a thing. We don't actually track that. But there's other patents and things that suggest they might.
0: Right. And I, I suppose that, that's a great thing for everybody to understand listening because I suppose we've got to remember not, not everybody has, some people won't have a clue about this sort of stuff. Like what, what, what you're saying is really that things go beyond just getting someone to click through to your website from, from Google or whatever search engine, right? There's just many more factors beyond that initial landing on your page.
2: Yeah, and that's how SEOs had to adapt too because it used to be, hey, you know, we increased your rankings and got your traffic up. We did our job, but then all of our stakeholders right. and clients are like, uh, "Okay, that's cool, but I'm not making any more money, and I'm spending a lot with you." So SEOs have really shifted from just trying to, you know, get your get more traffic and get better rankings to, okay, so how do we convert that traffic? So we've really had to adapt and learn a lot more about UX. There have been a lot of tools out there, like hot jar and crazy egg that can help track user performance on pages so we can learn how people are actually
0: interacting with the pages so nice. our roles have really developed over the years and does page so what would you play a part in this sorry james i'm cutting you off now i've got so much to say
1: look at you you're like you're super into this i like it
0: yeah I'm, well i'm into everything just not you oh. <laughs> <laughs> your question was Does paid affect it Uh, Sorry, no, uh, page speed, so like the loading time of a website, does that play a role in this? Yes, actually, I used to remember the date. It's somewhere in
2: June of 2018-ish. It was right after Google released what's called the mobile-first indexing. And what that meant is Googlebot, the bot that Google actually uses to, to crawl your website, it used to look at the desktop version but now it looks at the, the mobile version, then the desktop version. So it looks at mobile first. So that's what that means. So if, you, if your site is not mobile friendly, then it's not going to rank as well as others that are. And then shortly after that, about a month or two after that, they released the mobile speed update. So that is a confirmed ranking factor. And that is something that we actively work on. And that's actually a good transition to another point I wanted to make was, how SEOs are adapting is it's gone from a lot of you know content work to technical SEO, and you know web development has become almost critical for all SEO teams. Mo- if you're going to run an SEO company, you need to have at least a few people that know web development pretty
1: well. Well, it's interesting that you say that too because I think even from a from a direct response perspective, we we run paid ads, and one of uh, one of our pages or funnels was running. Pretty slow, and we we undertook a pretty major effort to dramatically increase page load speed, and with a with paying attention to mobile and noticed significant improvement once we really got that optimized. Yeah, um, even even from a paid ads perspective, I, I can't
2: remember the the exact metric, but there was a metric recently, but how many millions Amazon loses just when their page speed drops a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, there is
0: there is is data in there and statistics on like the the drop off rates with every with every second extra that your site takes to load the the drop off is and it gets pretty pretty insane once I think you get to like the the five plus three to five second plus mark I think you're talking about losing like and and maybe I'm wrong with this but I'm sure it was something staggering like 40-50% of people will will abandon if you're taking more than like four or five seconds
2: oh yeah it's definitely a huge part of it and luckily there's increasingly new tools out there and new ways of improving it but in my what I really care about most is there's a million ways to track it now so we can when we put those efforts in we can actually have something come back to our stakeholders and say hey you know, we put a lot of effort in this last month and here's the fruits of our labor.
1: Well, let's, so I wanted to jump back into this whole concept of you guys helping with UX stuff. What are, what are some of the top things that you feel like should and need to be done on a site or pages in particular to dramatically improve UX? And I think one of the things that is interesting where everything seems to be going is it, it's about giving people a great experience right? Regardless of, you know, whether you're running Facebook ads or YouTube ads or anything else or SEO, it's like, at the end of the day, you want your end consumer of whether it's, you know, content or something paid or whatever, to just have a great experience with you. I think that's like,
0: um, I think that is probably in my mind, at least like, to me, that's probably one of the most important things these days. Cause like you notice, same with Facebook or anywhere, don't matter, don't matter what platform you're using, whether it's SEO through Google or Facebook ads, whatever, they the end of the day, like they have to ensure that their customer, their user, has the best experience possible, doesn't it? Like if I like this is yeah. this is what I used to see happen back in the day with SEO, is with, with, you know, certain friends I had doing things that like they could game the system to do it. But if people aren't getting the information that they were actually searching for, like if that continued, they're not going to use Google anymore, are they? So they have to take care of their user.
2: So I've got two really important tips that I think need to be considered for any type of business. And when they're considering UX and how they're going to help drive people through that funnel. One is if you're really in this camp of you need long form content and pillar pieces and things like that, I do cons- uh, recommend doing those on-page table of contents, quick links throughout the page to help people find what their information they're looking for. Don't worry about time on site, worry about helping people get the information they need. Ooh, and, two, nice. and two is really think about, talk to your designers and your developers about working on your micro actions. And what uh, micro actions are is basically hints on the page that suggest to a user that things are clickable. One of the biggest things that I see fail a lot is that people create these really captivating graphics and user experiences, but they don't consider micro actions. And so, an example of that would be: let's say you're 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 moving your you're on a desktop and you're moving your mouse around a page, and you hover over a link, and that link may change color or get bigger or Just do something to indicate to you that hey, this link is clickable. And that's something that most users don't think about. It's just uh, we're so trained to expect things like that to happen that we don't realize that someone had to do something to make that happen. And so right. when that thing doesn't happen, you see performance drop off quite a bit because they, they don't know that they're supposed to take an action. Hmm. Huh. That's
0: fascinating. About just, just to pick up on something you just said there, John. Like just curious. You you said if people do want to do a long-form content strategy, does that mean does that mean you can have short-form content and still do well with SEO? So Google has come out and
2: recently myth busted. I think they did it sometime last year. Myth busted say, you know, word count is not a ranking factor. You can see shorter content outrank longer content. And they kind of just left it at that. And when we really dive into what that means is that, yeah, you can write long-form content, but if you're not delivering value, it's not going to rank. The reason that's happening is, is this a, it's all about writing style. I mean, part of it's thinking of that table of contents, finding what they want. But I'm seeing the biggest issues writing style is you'll have a writer. And let's say you're trying to answer, do a QA style content where you have a header and you, you pose a question. And that one few paragraphs are supposed to answer that question. And what the writers are doing is they're told they have a certain amount of words they need to write per section. So they add a bunch of fluff and a bunch of like supporting content, but don't really talk about the meat. And so. What we're seeing work really well is you know, this kind of different type of style of writing where it's like, okay, I'm going to prose a question for this section of the content. I'm going to answer it as quickly and succinctly as possible. And then the rest of that section is just supporting content. Just talking about maybe an example of that answer, in an action or something like that. Just a, something that is relatable. And we try to be really careful about what this fluff content is and try to trim it out.
1: So that it's so that it's like as, as punchy as possible, basically.
2: Yeah, yeah, and um, and really, when we're looking at word content, you, you, there's a lot of studies that show that you know longer word content can rank better, but usually it's not because they have more words, but it's because they're addressing more topics. So I specialize a lot in healthcare, and so we whenever we write landing pages about healthcare, we try to address every possible topic there is about it. So if we're dealing with a type of medical condition or a medical service, we, every topic. So it's like, you know, side effects, common causes, post-care guidelines, anything we can think of that might be about that topic. And being as comprehensive as possible is what gets us wins. It's not about, you know, having 2,000 word pages. It's about, you know, addressing every possible question.
1: And going, going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's about providing as much value to the user as possible.
2: Right, and then going back to UX within that content, finding little ways to help funnel them throughout the site and get them uh, keep them active and engaged.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting.
2: And then back earlier, building links to those pages as well.
1: <laughs> right. So, is there any any SEO play that anybody can do that doesn't have like a blog or something like that? What about you know e-commerce stores and things of that nature?
2: Yeah, so e-commerce, the big danger to stay away from is, hey, these people are doing it this way. That means I should be doing it that way. That's not always the case. For example, don't look at Amazon to base your e-commerce on. I think Amazon has a horrible UX in a lot of respects and breaks a lot of SEO rules, but they don't have to follow the rules because they're Uh Amazon. Another example is Forbes. Forbes breaks all the SEO rules, but it doesn't matter because they're Forbes. And a lot of these smaller players, you got to kind of play by the rules until you can get that brand equity. And even then, still follow the rules. Um, So for people like e-commerce or someone that's trying to really, you know, dip their toes in, I would say, you know, do competitive research. See who's ranking for what and what they're putting on their pages, how they're setting up their structure. E-commerce, the most important thing, I think, is two things. One it's your site architecture how your URLs relate to each other, how the, the different products are grouped together because how things are semantically grouped together is important for SEO. Now we're getting a little bit technical here. And then also, what types of things are you going to put on the product pages? You now, from product details aspects, specs, the types of photos, things like that. And see what your competitors are putting and then match it and then do one more. Like cover one more thing that they are not doing leave no room for them to close that competitive content gap.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause we have a, uh, we have a company that sells roses mm-hmm. and we, we do a lot of paid traffic to our sites and things like that, but we are not really doing anything with SEO at the moment.
2: Sure. Yeah, I mean, the product pages is the easy one to start because it doesn't require a lot of technical knowledge. It doesn't require a lot of, It really, it's just research and trying to find and creativity really to find, okay, what else can we do to help answer any questions or either drive a conversion or beat the competition really. But e-commerce is far more advanced for SEO because technical SEO is what we call technical side, which is more the web dev side becomes way more critical because e-commerce is all about being able to scale. And if you set up your your architecture wrong from the beginning, it's a lot harder to correct later on.
1: So give me give me like an example of uh, well set up or well thought through architecture. Just a simple example, and one that wouldn't be.
2: Oh, absolutely. So go into a uh, let's say a department store, and you're looking for cereal or something. You're not going to go to the like if you're going to Target and you and you want to find cereal. But then they're like, oh, but cereal actually, we just had to put it somewhere, and there's empty shelf space over near the chairs. So you're right. going to get to go buy the chairs. It doesn't make sense, right? It's not user-friendly. And if you're Google looking through a site, that's not where you would expect it to be. And so you, you kind of don't understand why all the products are mixed together. You really want to keep everything grouped into what, what's called content silos. So mm-hmm. bringing back to e-commerce, if you're selling, let's just say you're selling flowers in general. And not just you know red roses and so you'd have a section of your site about you know roses or different types of flowers and then maybe you have a section of your site that's like you know individual flowers or bouquets or um, glass vases and then oh and then you also have accessories and you really want to define what those sections are and then make sure it relates to the urls and that's what people get lost on and they're like okay well visually my site makes sense but if you look at the urls there's no parent pages so that, well, that means it's, it would be dot com slash red roses one and as opposed to dot com slash products slash roses slash red roses slash whatever the product name is
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so that url structure is what's really important Which and really we can actually use visualization tools and that's what i use with my clients i use visualization tools so they can visually understand what i'm talking about when i say site architecture
0: I have before and after examples as well. Well, I think I love the way in which you just said it. It's like thinking about it like a department store. Like which which, which section of the department store am I heading to first? Oh, flowers. Okay, now I'm in there. Now where's roses? You know, it's like visualizing it in that way, I think really helps. I think that's awesome.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good analogy too. Because you do, I, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've definitely been in stores before where I'm like, why the hell did you put this thing here? Like it makes no sense to me and that ruins my experience in the store. So it makes sense that when you're setting up your architecture for your products, you'd want them to be as logical as possible.
2: Right. And so you're thinking about it from a user perspective right now. But when it comes to search engines, especially Google, how products are semantically grouped together is critical for them to understand your site. And so, for example, when we're talking, if I'm talking about, you know, you're talking about e-commerce, but if I'm talking about one of my healthcare sites, I try to make sure if I'm talking about like a, a medical service they offer, it's brandname.com slash services slash whatever the service name is, mm-hmm. or if there's a category, it'd be slash services slash service category slash service name, and just group it all like that. And then I'll have my services content silo, my conditions treated content silo, my clinic locations, content silos, everything's grouped together in these silos so that everything is semantically where they should be.
1: Right, right. And that, and that facilitates the search engines recommending you more effectively. Yeah,
2: right. And it's also really what it comes down to is crawl efficiency. Because you want when Google comes, just like going to a grocery store or a department store, you want the user to efficiently find what they need. Same thing with search engines. If you have a really clean site architecture, you can maximize what's called your crawl budget. And that's basically how many pages Google can crawl in a single session. And you want them to crawl as many pages as possible, and if you, they have too many errors and too many redirects and issues and all, it's really messy, Google might not crawl as many pages in the session and they might not crawl as often as you'd want them to because you want them to continuously come back to your site and pick up on any changes you may have made.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. it's fascinating, John. I didn't, uh, I didn't know half of the stuff that you've talked about today. Yeah, it gets
2: really technical, so I'm trying to break it down a little bit here. But technical SEOs become is becoming much more like, just more and more important. It's becoming more complicated as we go on, um, especially because there's so many different types of. Uh, web languages on different ways to develop websites and that's making things way more complicated.
0: I, I know we're a bit mindful yeah. for time, but if there is a quick answer to this, it'd be awesome to hear. Like where so if 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 somebody's listening to this or take James or I, like we, you know, we do a lot of direct response, you know, paid advertising, we understand the benefits long term of, of SEO. Like wh- where would we begin? Like what, what would be like a, a simple start for someone in that situation?
2: I would say find an agency that could do it all. If you're doing it all in house, try to find a holistic digital marketer. Or if you're looking for an agency, find someone that can do it all. Because one of the biggest mistakes we see is having too many cooks in the kitchen from different areas, right? And so, whenever we're working, trying to, and there's a lot of agencies that can work together effectively, but sometimes it's hard and it creates friction when you have a PPC agency trying to do their thing, but maybe that's affecting the SEO agency. And there's no real middleman in between. And if you have too many points of contact from your team on there, that adds way more layers and that usually at one point or another, that means the teams will interfere with each other's efforts.
1: So when you say do it all, what what are the uh, major categories of things that you'd be looking for?
2: From like an agency or something, something well, like that? Well, yeah.
1: So like you said, you know, look for somebody in-house who could do it all or outsource who could do it all like what? Got
2: it. So there's, especially with digital marketing, there's in-house and there's agency. The in-house people typically have to be kind of jacks of all trades. They, do, they run the paid ads themselves. They know enough SEO to get by. And so they're trying to optimize the website. So that means that that person's going to have total knowledge of everything that's going on. That means that they know what's going to interfere with what and they're able to control that. Um, if you're looking for an agency that can do it all, that means they, they're proficient in both you know, paid ads and organic. And then they have, you'll have a single account manager who's managing all of the operations, and they'll ins- ensure from your end uh, that everything's running smoothly and there's no conflicts between the two departments, and it kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off of you as the stakeholder. Um, and that's kind of what I mean
1: by that. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's great. So John, where can uh, where can people go out and find uh, a little bit more about you guys? Sure you can visit uh, for
2: my company you can go to cardinaldigitalmarketing.com. If you want to learn more about me or follow my SEO tips, I write for search engine journal and or you can follow me on Twitter at SEO Counseling where I frequently share SEO tips and articles
1: and things like that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's been uh, it's been great having you on the show today, Dean. Any no, just uh, any to say uh, thanks to John, questions? like you,
0: like you said, I echo the same. Like, there's been so many good little things that I had no clue about, and I uh, I am sure this is a, a topic that we could probably talk for a, at least continuously for another year about. So, uh, yeah, and I have appreciated uh, learning a lot from you, John. Thank you. And thanks for having me. I could <laughs> literally talk all day about it. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Well, well, you raised uh, you raised a lot of good points, and I have. I have several hours worth of questions still. So uh, maybe we'll have you back on in the future. But for now, um, for those of you guys who want to find out more about what John's up to or anything like that, just go over to cardinaldigitalmarketing.com or follow him on Twitter. And I think we're going to wrap it up here, you guys. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you. Make sure you leave us a review. Tell your friends and family about us. And we'll talk with you guys next time. Later, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit JustatipsShow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to go from being a hustling entrepreneur to an effective CEO capable of running your company without being stuck in the day-to-day, visit me for free training and resources at jamesbeefreal.com. Our theme music is Happy, Happy Game Show by Kevin MacLeod. License under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.